Well, hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of our fabulous podcast, everybody. What a show we have got for you this evening. It's non-stop, it's fantastic. I'm joined today by my special co-host, Brandon McCaffrey, everybody. first guest joining us is the former Lord Mayor of Manchester. What a story he's got to tell us. His name is Carlos Dinbihan. For those of you who know my backstory, um, I was I was discharged, kicked out of the RAF uh, back in 1997 for being gay. So I was one of the last people um, to get discharged well back in 97. And that's that was only 23, 24 years ago. And the weird thing is, I actually could have gone to prison for six months. Um, so it was an... It, it, it was a prison offence to be gay within the armed forces back in the uh, back, back then. So I think once once that had happened to me and I got suspended for six months and I wrote to Tony Blair, I wrote to my MP, I wrote to various people, uh, and they were very much a case of no, no, these are the rules and regulations. And do you know what? I've got nothing against the armed forces. I have an issue with the government at the time and governments until it was legalised. And it was only last year in 2020 when we had an official pardon uh, by John Mercer to say wow. that they realised that the government had, had screwed up, basically. And, you know, we apologise for the fact that, you know, we got rid of all these people who, who didn't make jobs. And I loved the Air Force. And I think that's where I got my passion from. I think the fact that, you know, I was doing a job. I'd signed up for 22 years. I managed, you know, I'd rescued a pilot from an aircraft. I'd been in the Queen's Birthday Honours list back in 1996. Um, and just because of the fact of my sexuality, I was discharged and could have gone to prison. So that's where my passion comes from. And that's why I'm still an activist today. And and what was interesting was I was on a, a quiz show the other night, and I know you were on it, Blunder, with, with, with Misty and the, the, the boys over at The Goose to celebrate their third birthday and third anniversary. And I was quite surprised, if I'm honest, the fact that some people didn't know who Marsha P. Johnson was, the, the fact that people didn't realise that the history of the village, the fact that people didn't realise who Alan Turing was. And it just made me realise about that. Do you know what? One thing that we need to keep doing is promoting LGBT history. And I know it's only 28 days of the year, but for, for the amount of history we've got, it needs to be 365 days of the year. Um, so that's why I'm passionate. That's the man of the hour, the village man that everyone seems to see and know whenever you walk anywhere down that street. It's Tony Cooper. Tony! Welcome to the show. Welcome. How are you? Now, we're going back a while, because we were talking only recently how you remember how it was illegal to be gay. Um, I mean, this well, is... In... Well, not, not so much that it was illegal to be gay, but certainly when the age of consent was changed, mm-hmm. um, you know, when it, was, when it was illegal to be, you know, gay under 21, I certainly remember that. And, you know, I certainly remember the problems of having, you know, when I was 20 and I had a 19-year-old boyfriend. So the the problems that that caused, but, yeah, it's not that long ago. But what was that like, though? Describe how you'd be able to emote and show your emotions. And did you feel well, like you were always clamping down on yourself? In normal everyday life, yes, but we had, we had the village, we had an escape. So we had somewhere to go. Um, but you, you've got to remember, you know, even even on the village, you know, I remember coming out of um, the union and the union was one of the places to go then. And we had uh, the Jesus bus parked outside. <laughs> <laughs> and it literally is what I say. It was a big Jesus bus full of Christians stood at the doorway handing people leaflets saying that you were going to die die of AIDS and you were going to go to hell. And with graphic images of people um, that were, you know, in hospital with um, HIV and AIDS. And, and they were handing you that as you came out. And I suppose one of the questions is being your authentic self. For some people, that's being camp isn't it? How do you, how was that kind of allowed to be seen? Well, you, the thing is that, that 
and we still have the same problem now that the models that you see in television in everything else is that camp model that's yeah. the that's the acceptable face of homosexuality is is that camp model the larry graysons etc etc uh the john inmans yeah those were the acceptable faces of of gay always a bit camp it's a bit of that you worked in bars most of your life and you also did a bit of entertaining back in the day as well uh, what was the reason for you getting into the entertainment side first of all <laughs> you're naughty belinda um do you know <laughs> you'll die if you do um do you know what because because i had a pub and i i couldn't afford to put entertainment on um you know we were struggling it was hard work we couldn't afford to put the entertainment on so that was it and then i ended up earning more money than the artists that i was putting on so yeah that's the way there it works you now you'd have to be under a rock or hidden in the dark to not know about the current program known as it's a sin which is doing absolutely fantastic over on channel four we spoke to one of the actors from that his name is nathaniel hall hello hi how, how are you many doing? interviews is this today that you've done oh i think this is number four today so, yeah. <laughs> that's not too bad no it's not too now, bad you're taking part in a program that actually in its very context is extremely close to your heart yeah absolutely yeah so um I, i've lived with hiv since i was um well two weeks before my 17th birthday i was diagnosed with hiv so um so yeah getting a um, landing a role in it's the same which is just the most like you say the most talked about drama at the minute it's insane you know um how the impact that it's had and the conversations that it's sparking is has been been amazing for me as somebody who's lived with HIV for nearly 18 years and someone who's a, a passionate and proud HIV activist. Um, was it heartbreaking to sort of step back in time but realise that the issues that you were addressing then are still not prevalent but they're still there well, for still people there, to absolutely. look for? Yeah, I think, you know, lots of people ask me, you know, was it was it hard to film? What was it like filming it? And actually, you know, actually it was it wasn't that difficult. Reading the script was tough when I first got it. And when we had the table read through with everything, we knew we were onto something uh, amazing with the script. Um, and, you know, we all took it very, very seriously that we wanted to honour these stories and, you know, and, and the, the lives lost and the people who have, have lost people as well to HIV and AIDS. But actually, it really hit home when I watched it. I, I streamed it. or I'd actually watched it before it was broadcast. Um, I was very yeah. lucky. And then, uh, but I, I watched it with my boyfriend when it was um, put onto all four mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, watched all five. And that weekend felt very, very heavy, uh, you know, felt very fortunate. If I was born 16 years earlier, um, I won't give any spoilers away, but for those people that have seen it, I would be calling Morris Jones, you know, yeah. I, I, mm. I wouldn't be here. So, you know, I, that lay very heavy with me that I was very fortunate to be born when I was in the age of uh, medication um, and also, you know, now able to have uh, sex with my boyfriend without a condom is incredible. You know, uh, if, if you're on effective medication, you can't pass on the virus. So, yeah, actually watching it back was was when it was really tough. And I realised that, that it was opening up a maybe a slightly unhealed wound for, for across yeah. the LGBT mm -hmm. community. Um, and that, that a lot of people were like, oh, yes, this is a, there's some unresolved trauma here that we need to maybe get out and collectively grieve and, you know, and remember those lives. Now, we're going to ask you about your character in a minute. But before then, uh, the stigma that perhaps your character would feel for maybe he does, maybe doesn't have in HIV compared to you as Nathaniel, is, is the stigma the same? Um, you know, I've, I, I mean, I lived with my HIV diagnosis in secret for about 15 years, you know, so I'm not going to brush up and be like, I was diagnosed in 2003 and everything was fine. You know, <laughs> the, the stigma and the shame of the diagnosis is very heavy and, um, it's the most stigmatized, uh, illness, uh, virus in the world. And, uh, it took me a long, long time to work through that and to work through all those feelings um, and the the psychological impact of that, I think you know it, it, it almost doesn't compare to what people must have felt like in the 1980s. If you think of the headlines, the vilification of of gay men at that time, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to be to go through that. I mean, I was born in 1986, which is the year Donald appears in um, in It's a Sin. So it's a strange parallel. 
Um, but I think, you know, and Donald's an actor, I'm an actor. Um, there's some, some parallels with my own life. Um, but the, the fact that Donald has to, um, uh, has to hide his sexuality as an actor, um, otherwise he won't get roles. And, you know, and that's, the, that's in episode three, that's what we find out, that he's actually getting the roles over Richie, who's the lead, because I think maybe Donald can, can mask his, his gayness a little bit more than Richie can. Um, and so he's getting the jobs that Richie wants to get. Um, and, you know, that to, to look in, in a comparison to me now was, uh, you know, very, very openly you know, this is open the about my sex. You've been doing as well, is it? You've also written a play that's just been released over the past couple of months. Yeah. So I, well, I actually, my solo show first time came out in 2018, um, and then went to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019, um, and then was on tour before Miss Rona came on the scene mm-hmm. <laughs> and interrupted. Yeah, it interrupted all our lives. You know, um, I was like, I was talking about another pandemic, and you've just come and interrupted. Excuse me, um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that that's that was that was part of my journey from going from you know in 2017 when I was still living in secret. I decided that I needed to tell my family. I wanted to go very public and very open about my diagnosis to to really smash through that shame and stigma and change the narrative about HIV to normalise it. You know, to 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 put a new face to it because obviously for a lot of people and for, and particularly out maybe not in the gay community but maybe outside the LGBT community, you know, people might still think that it's like the 1980s that if you get you know they yeah. might still see those emaciated figures um, and those you know really awful things that people went through and not understand that HIV has changed so I, I was like I need to do something about this and I'm you know I'm white I'm middle class you know I've, I've walked through the world with a lot of privilege as well you know so actually it's safe for me to do so um, and so I thought yeah let's let's do something so I did what any self-respecting person would do and uh, you know, play out on stage well for hundreds of people every night. Amazing. Now, uh, so then you've touched a bit on it, but tell us a bit more about your character in It's a Sin. Yeah. So Donald, for that, I try not to give any spoilers away for those that are watching weekly. That's the Don- tricky thing, isn't it? Yeah, they've been starting week by week. I think it's torn the country apart. Most of them have either watched an episode and are keeping with it yeah weekly or oh, everyone's watched it all so go on yeah. give as many spoilers as you wish to <laughs> well so I, I yeah donald appears in episode three which comes is, is out this friday um like i say donald's an actor and he um he keeps bumping into richie who's the lead played by ollie alexander, ollie alexander at um castings they're obviously put up for very similar roles um but donald seems to be getting the parts um but there's a little spark of something there and they meet in the brewers um and and richie realizes that he's he's one he's one of us you know donald is one of us um and they hit it off and they go into a really beautiful little relationship but very sadly um that's not to be um donald um, is uh, one of the boys that goes home. Um, we don't really find out what happens to Donald. Yeah, it's true, that, actually, because we don't actually see a... St- maybe, maybe that's the second season, maybe. <laughs> well, well I did say in the acting industry is that if some, something does happen like that, they always go, oh, they went home. Yeah. And that's still said nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, I, um, I, I text Russell and I said, well... We don't actually find out what happens to Donald, so maybe maybe there's a second season where he does come second back. Second season, Donald's the lead character in well, exactly. He did a second He's... one of Queer as Folk, so why exactly, not? Yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? Um, you, you say that you get into a nice relationship with the, with the main character, but however, it's a bit more than that, because you, you kind of had to do scenes, I suppose most of us would reserve for, well, for Dark Light. Yes, this is true, yeah. There was some... Um... Yeah, some sex scenes involved. I watched the first episode um, when it went out live with my parents. Um, and my, and if anyone's seen the first episode, you know, um, it's it's pretty it's pretty out there. Uh, this is the this, this is this is the man that in, this is the man that introduced you know the heterosexual world to, to gay rimming you know in the ni- late nineteen nineties. So, um, but my mum said introduced me to it to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but my my mum my mum said you know um, uh, oh I ho- you know I hope you don't you don't do anything like that in your scenes and I was like why do you think I'm not watching it with you <laughs> <laughs> so just before we let you go then um, where could people find this wonderful program like I need to ask but let's just pretend that we're not all into it like we, are, we all are so where can we find it's a sin yeah yeah, so It's a Sin is on Channel 4 um, and it's 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 available to stream the five episodes on all four as well. Um, and if you've not watched it, where have you been? Because literally, <laughs> the, the entire nation is saying. watching it. 
It's I was just, walking through Bolton the other day and was like, seeing where the protest was and went, I'm going to lie down, this is it, this is my moment. I went the next day, because I, I was one of these ones that watched the episode and thought, I can't wait till next Friday, this is absolutely doing me. I need to... Yeah. I didn't just watch it, I went the next week down to where you filmed outside the thingy. With a record Pink shop. Palace? Pink, Pink Palace. Palace. I went Pink there. Palace, yeah. It's, it doesn't look the same as it does in the programme, but that's oh, glamorisation That's one thing that made me laugh loads. Sat there going like, we're in London, London, and when you're from Manchester, you're going like, that is not London. Well, it's clamped, Stop lying yourself. Clamp Down Records, which they didn't they didn't do any set dressing on Clamp Down Records because it just looks wonderful. It's like, it's not changed it since the 1960s, has it? So Rundown Records, as I used to call it. <laughs> Uh, Nathaniel Hall, thank you so much for your time today. Amazing, amazing to speak to you. Thank you so much. She's an incredible actress in her own right and a member of the trans community and a fighter for all trans rights everywhere. It's Annie Wallace. How's life for you? Oh, we haven't spoken for years. It's what, sorry? We haven't spoken for years. Well, no, because um, we, we normally bump into each other at, um, at entertainment venues. Yes, <laughs> but, not mentioning uh, it because no <laughs> that. That bloody box in the corner, that's been mm. all that we've got. We've, we've had our television and that's been it. Um, yeah, yeah no, I've been fine. I've been fine. It's uh, We had the horrible lockdowns when, when yeah. uh, we weren't filming anything. And wow. uh, that eased in August. Yeah. And since August, we have been filming Hollyoaks. And because of the uh, fairly strict um, anti-COVID yeah. measures at work, Thankfully, we've not had to, to shut down at any point. Um, although I was going to ask you how you got around that, though. How's filming been? How's it been different? Okay, um, so we don't have our own dressing rooms anymore. Uh, oh. We are we are allocated a dressing room on the day, and before we go into the dressing room, the room is um, antiviral fogged, and every surface is wiped, and then when we leave. And uh, if someone else is coming into the room, the same thing happens. So there's a, there's a team of disinfectants following us around. Um, our clothes are um, fogged as well, our costumes. We have yeah, to do our own makeup in here. As you can see, Sally's hair is getting a little bit on the long side. <laughs> <laughs> Looks gorgeous, Flower, gorgeous. We can't, well, thank you. It's, 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 it's proving difficult, shall we say, because... Um, as well as there being no hairdressers, there's no um, there's no hairdressing at work, yeah. and mm -hmm. there's no makeup, so we have to do it all ourselves. Um, we can style ourselves, but I can't cut my hair myself, or else I'd end up looking I don't know, like someone with one of those Mohicans or something horrendous. So we're not going to go. <laughs> we're just we're not going to go, go there. Um, I actually set you the challenge to do that, Annie. I expect a Mohican <laughs> in the next few weeks. Buzz cut. It could be that a character choice. Number one, all the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's it's extremely um, on the on the on the doubly safe side. Uh, yeah. We wear masks all around the building. The masks only come off when we actually shoot our um, our scenes, and then when we're finished, we go home. So there's no yeah. green room to sit and socialise and chat with your castmates. Uh, it's it's turned the place a little bit clinical and it's not doesn't feel as friendly as it did, but it's needs must. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because at the moment, we have to do whatever we have to do to continue making lots of lovely television for Which everybody. You're doing. And Which you're doing. But I wanted to ask you about trans rights because you have been such an instrumental person mm -hmm. with this. You really, really have. First of all, um, let's go back to your youth and how you feel it's progressed to where you are now. Well, my youth was um, the 1970s. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about a time when, uh, as Tony said, things were very, very different, yes. Uh, LGBT people were all put in the same basket together. There was no such thing as LGBT people. It was just gay. Trans wasn't even a word. It was transgender. It was uh, you're a transsexual or transvestite, and mm. both of those were terrible things. Yeah. So um, when you grow up with that kind of stigma and you think you could belong to that subset, it's very scary. And I think the groundbreaking thing that happened for me was when Julia Grant uh, did her BBC One Yay. television series, uh, the documentary showing her transition and her establishing of her business in Manchester and everything. And that I watched on a small black and white television. I think 
I think there's kids probably watching It's a Sin in the same way. Very, mm -hmm. very quiet with your head quite close to the speaker so that yeah. parents don't know what you're watching. Yeah, absolutely. And um, because it's so amazing that it's actually there and it's something that you go, oh, my God, this is something. I think this is who what I am. So, um, of course, the wonderful Julia and I became very good friends later. Uh, poor, the late Julia Grant, uh, complete groundbreaker for trans people in in. Britain. So she was my first kind of role model that made me think, well, this is actually a possible thing, uh, rather than just a headline in a newspaper, which is always kind of glaring and horrible and and othering. That's a good word for it, isn't it? I, I like that word anyway. Yeah. Yes. So that was that was the kind of youth. And then didn't tell anyone, kept my mouth shut. I remember telling my mum once when I was eight years old. Uh, so we're talking early 70s. Uh, and she just hit me. Really? She just oh. belted me and said, "Don't you ever say that ever again." And that I never but did. Of course, things things turned around for you. I mean, you got this major breakthrough role, yeah. and I say it quite strongly: breakthrough role in Hollyoaks. <laughs> Till then, it was very young people tackling, you know, the occasional this and that issue. You came in, you changed it all around. How was your first day there, though? Oh, it's just lovely. It's just lovely. Um. It's such a lovely place to work. And I think that anyone who comes into the show will see the same thing. You come in and they're very nice to you and they, and they say, oh, this is what you're doing. This is where you're going. Can I help? All this kind of thing. You film what you have to film and then you go home. And, and every day, well, pretty much every day has been very similar to the first. It's just a, it's just a very warm and supportive atmosphere, especially mm -hmm. if, uh, when it's storylines that actually have some depth to depth. them which such yeah. as anything to do with the lgbt lgbt community is usually handled pretty well we have we have two non-binary actors in the show now and uh, they're they're going to be touching on that very soon i believe um but yes uh, well hollyoaks took me on at a time when there was a swirl around the idea that, gosh, trans people might actually be actors as well as, um, yeah, yeah. you know, as well as other things. My goodness, can they act? So well, this is what was... Russell T. Davies came out with the comment uh, a few weeks ago that only gay actors should play gay characters. Do you feel that's the same with trans people? Um, you see, it's difficult me for this one. Um, I think for trans people... I think it depends on the context of the actual thing that you're doing. <clears throat> I think if the program, if the program is featuring or dealing with a character who is post-transition, I believe you should always have a trans person in that role. Something like uh, The Danish Girl, where Eddie Redmayne played a character who, for most of the film, uh, was playing Einar. Um, yeah. Uh, not Lily. Uh, I know it got a lot of backlash, but I didn't see the backlash in that because it was about someone who was finding himself. So casting someone, I mean, can you imagine if they'd cast me in that role, for instance? And they and said, yeah, for, three, for one. Well, <laughs> for three quarters of that film, you're going to be playing Einar. So you're going to yeah. be playing a man mm. in that role. Um, I'm sure there'd be trans people who'd be willing to do it, but. I think it would be quite difficult and quite uh, painful, actually, to do that. So I, I think it depends entirely on the context of, of the, the part and the person. It's a case-by-case it's a, it's a -case basis for me. But if it's a post-transition thing, if it's something about a trans person, then it's, I, I believe that there are plenty that of trans characters Now, as characters go, one guy did change the world by becoming Coronation Street's first gay vicar. That's right. Gone is the old day of Ada Sharples down the corner. This is, of course, Daniel Brocklebank. We're, we're talking about pioneering roles here. A gay vicar. Must have been. Did you get any backlash? Uh, initially, yeah, initially. But, I mean, there are there are quite a high number of gay clergy. And once we were, you know, representing that group, it sort of, it settled down a bit. Yeah. Mm. Now I've got to ask you a question because I'm dying to ask you, and I've been dying to ask this question for a while. Perhaps we yeah. can breathe them slides up, please. Thank you. Uh, one very important question. Now, 
I want you to put yourself into your character's mind, uh -huh. okay? And I want to throw these options at you. If you were to marry somebody within your program, would it be Todd? Would it be Paul? Uh, which would you choose? Uh, well, I mean, neither of them are particularly good for him, are they? Let's face <laughs> it. Does it, does it have to be one not. of them? Yeah, but a one night stand, you know? I mean, you've had several of them with our talk. Oh, no, oh, no um, never, no. No, have you no, not? He's very, no, he's very well behaved. No, very well oh. behaved. Yeah. It's not like being back home at all. Outrageous. <laughs> How's life been for you being a, a gay man? First of all, has it been difficult as a gay actor to get roles? Or how was it for you? Uh, it's changed over the years. I started working uh, uh, mid-90s, 94, uh, and things were quite different then, you know, socially, legally, um, and that obviously affected work. It certainly affected work when I, when I came out publicly, it affected work in America massively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but now, it, yeah, now it's, it, yeah, it's very different. It's very different. You are able to be out and not worry about it affecting your sort of castability. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So if you were looking for a particular part, um, if you were casting for a part, uh, would you cast and always agree that casting a, a gay man in the role would be the right thing to do to play <sighs> a gay part? Okay. Well... I sort of agree with what Annie said, really. It depends on the context. I, I mean, an actor, by definition, is somebody that pretends to be someone they're not. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, but somebody who is gay would understand, you know, what it's like to be gay. So therefore, it might make sense to cast somebody who's had similar life experiences to the character. So it, do it does depend on the context, I think. And your story coming out, how was that? Was that difficult for you? Uh, well, it was sort of, yeah, mid-90s. Mid I came out to my family in 95 and then came out publicly in 98. And, yeah, things were very different. Uh, I grew up, you know, with Section 28, uh, social attitudes being different to uh, how they are now. Um, and, yeah, at times it was. It was very difficult, yeah. Yeah, I'm very think... pleased to see that the younger generations now have it so much easier. But do you think the younger generation need to retain the knowledge and the history of, of what it is to be LGBT? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm thrilled that they don't have to face the same level of prejudice that my generation and previous did. But yeah, it's really important to understand how we got to where we are now. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the youngsters that we asked um, you know, last year, when we did our programme last year for Pride, we asked them what Pride means to them. And, <clears throat> excuse me, most of them said, it's a party. And, and it kind of stops there. And you kind of feel, as an older person, that you want to reach out to them and explain to them why they're allowed to have this party. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is great that it now is a party, but I remember when it was a political march. And, you know, so it's, yes, I think... It's part, of, it's part of our history. It's part of how we got to where we are now. And I think, yeah, it, it, I think it's really important for the younger generations to know that. How would you say his name? Owine. Owine. Owine Wynne Evans. Well, um, I spent a lot of time in Cardiff and I lived there for many, many years. But I actually grew up in a place called Ammonford, which is um, 56 miles west from Cardiff. And, you know, um, I grew up in a um, it's an ex mining town and I grew up in a very kind of working class family and we never had very much money. And um, in those kinds of towns, you know, there simply weren't other LGBT people as far as I was concerned you know it was like um and I know that some people watching this now probably feel the same you know this is a familiar kind of feeling right when you're growing up you feel like you're the only gay in the village or whatnot but it definitely felt like that and it took me a really long time to get to a stage where I suppose I was you know comfortable with myself and that I actually was like accepting of the fact that okay this is me I am gay but that probably didn't happen until I was 
you know, 17, 18. And then I got a job in Cardiff and I moved there for work and I started seeing what was a gay scene, really. There was a really mm. small gay scene in Swansea, actually, which I did kind of dip my toe into. But um, I didn't spend a lot of time there. And yeah. it, it, what made it even more strange for me, I suppose, is, is that my... Um, and I don't mean to kind of apply any stereotypes here, but it is how I experienced it. So that this is how I will describe it in my way. Yeah. Um, there are lots of mechanics in my family, you know, that I was always around cars and motorbikes. And when I was younger, I used to ride motorbikes, you know, and then I was a drummer and I was playing in rugby clubs around the kind of Swansea valleys every Friday and Saturday night, you know. So it was a very kind of, a masculine kind of environment, I suppose. So um, I think that that, like, uh, it was almost like there were layers of something being put on top of me, you know, like squeezing mm -hmm. me down um, yeah. over the years. So, but I also consider myself really lucky, you know, because I, um, my family loved me and I had really good friends. So the coming out experience for me was difficult yes but a lot easier than it is for so many people i know the country would look a lot sorrier without this wonderful charity we're of course talking about the george house trust and its leader is of course our darren perhaps first of all to anybody that doesn't know what is the george house trust um, george house trust is a charity that provides support to people living with hiv our kind of focus is ensuring that people live confidently and healthily so we do all the support and offer all the support that they may need to live the best life they can yeah and why was this so important to set up um well it was set up back in the 80s and um it was really important at the time when aids was as we've heard already tonight um taking people um and it massively impacted our community and people got together to challenge the way that people were being treated that we're really seeing through it's a sin because people were not dying with dignity and people also needed support, someone to talk to. So Manchester AIDS line was established and then that grew into George House Trust over the years. Yeah, so HIV, is it still with us or has it gone away now? It's definitely still with us. So um, there's been great progress made. So people living with HIV can expect to live the same length of time as somebody without it these days. And when you're on effective treatment, you can't pass it on. Um, if you're um, undetectable. So it, we've made progress, but the reality is we've got 6,000 people living with HIV in Greater Manchester, 105,000 across the country, and people are still contracting HIV every year. We've got bold ambitions by 2030, we will end new transmission of HIV, which is really exciting. It's got government behind it, all the HIV charities, all the prevention organisations, we're all working towards that but we will still have HIV with us. And I think the important word that you used there was the word living, because this isn't a death sentence anymore, is no. it? No, absolutely not. So I think what um, It's a Sin is showing us is a very real perspective from a point in time, but actually now you will live your life to the full. You can do anything that anybody without HIV can do. Um, the jobs that are open to you, um, it's really, really a manageable condition. A long-term condition, but a manageable one. So how would people, you know, do, do, they, do they get an illness, a cough, a cold? How do they know if they've got it? How can they know if they've got it? You get a test, pure and simple. Um, there's just get tested, right? We need to remove the stigma around testing. It's HIV testing week this week. Um, so there's lots of stuff you can go to gmpash.org.uk to find out more information about testing but get tested no it's the best method of prevention is knowing your hiv status you see i was i was stupid well not stupid uh, but i didn't get tested until a few years ago and it was tony where's tony can we bring tony back in tony perhaps you you remember you took me to uh what was GA, well, it is G-A-Y, and you, took, you forced me to have my first test and I was petrified that it was going to be this, it was going to be that, it was going to be that. Do you remember that, Tony? I do, I do. And we stood outside and had our picture took with our finger. Yeah, because it's as simple as that, isn't it? it yeah. It's not invasive at all, you know, and they're not taking pints of blood. It's a pinprick. Yeah. Yeah. And getting that pinprick, if I'm right, Darren, it, it's, 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 it's an obvious stage to, to rescue you from the inevitable, I suppose, is it? 
Yeah, and um, if you are living with HIV, the sooner you know it, the sooner you're on effective treatment, the better you're going to be, yeah. Um, so the most important thing is to know. Um, the support's there, you've got charities like George House Trust to provide that kind of well-being advice. People are referred to us newly diagnosed and also later on when they've been living with HIV for years, but there's loads of support around you for you so just have the test and know either way there's so many more doing it at the minute i've seen quite a few people on facebook and online a lot of friends of mine who, who wouldn't be the usual type to go out and do it who because of it's a scene and it being hiv testing we have gone out and got a kit and are doing it at home and if you do get um if you have got hiv if you're hiv positive what does that mean for your life um well from us it means that you can live the same life as anybody else. We just need to educate people that things have changed. Um, there's still stigma around, but you will be taking medication, maybe one tablet, maybe two, maybe three, maybe more. It depends on what um, regime you're on. But also... And what um, do the tablets do? Well, they, they make sure that the amount of HIV that's in your blood is reduced and so it's what we call undetectable so right. basically it manages the amount of hiv in your blood and stops that increasing and that's what you go to the hospital for on a regular basis maybe every six months maybe less for some people to keep that in check and make sure that everything's okay and if you've got hiv can you transmit it still well um if you're undetectable so that means the amount of HIV in your body can't be picked up by test, then you can't pass it on through sex, no. Um, so that's why George House Trust um, really, really focuses on the undetectable equals untransmittable message because we need people to know that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a real, real kind of a big thing in progression for HIV. So how often should people get tested? Well, that all depends on what you're up to. <laughs> so we've talked quite a bit about sex and things tonight, but ultimately um, it's about, it should be part of your well-being. But if you think at any point you've been at risk, then you should take a test. Um, and that's our advice to you, really. I think it's the most important thing you can do. And where would people find the George House Trust? Um, you, ght.org.uk you can find all the information there is information about testing on there as well i'm a compassionate to our partners like lgbt foundation who do lots of work around that so throughout our epic program we did have a very lively discussion we got all our guests together and we asked them some questions and these are the highlights but i want to go back i want to go back a good few years and i want you to tell me just one word from each of you and we'll work our way across so tony you'll be first how proud you felt when you found the real you, Tony? Um, excited. Excited. Ah, it's nice a good word, isn't it? Carl? Release from a pressure cooker. That's not one word, but that'll do. <laughs> uh, and um, Owain? Um, I think relieved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Daniel? Yeah. Well, relieved, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Yes. There you are. It's always good to get relieved. Annie Wallace, finding the true you. How did that feel for you? <laughs> Nervous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and Darren? Happy. 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 Amazing. So, coming out should be an easy thing, shouldn't it? Discuss. Who wants to go first? No. No. no, no, no. Why should it not be an easy thing? Um, well, it depends. It, should it depends be... on so many factors. Yeah, go on. Such as, and it, and it should also be personal choice and personal decision rather than being made for you. Um, mm. You know, from my experience, being outed and being told about what it was ended my career of twenty-two years. So that should have been my choice, not someone else's. I, I think that's that's the big thing where I say no. It's it. It shouldn't be easy um, because I think it's I think it's a right a passage. It's certainly one that I missed out on. But coming out, it should be easy to your friends and family with total acceptance. But I think that having a bit of fight in you to the rest of the world actually makes you stronger. 
I think there's an interesting point about the fact that I was working on a presentation for something tomorrow for LGBT History Month, and every day you're still coming out. You come out yeah. at the barbers, you come out, you know, yeah. when you, it's like, oh, you got a wedding ring on, somebody says, what's your missus called? Uh, sorry, gay. Um, it, all the time, so you're always coming out every single day, never stops. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what? I had that very well, we all do, don't we? We all kind of come out every day, as you say, but uh, we've we've recently moved. And I remember telling Aaron, uh, my husband, oh, we're going to have to like meet the neighbours and, you know, come out to them potentially and tell them who we are and, you know, that we're a couple. And it is kind of bonkers that you, you have to do that. But I think we're a long way away from that, you know, not being a thing. Do you yeah. all share that it's still perhaps a little bit awkward to ex to have to explain? Well, not to have to explain, but in a normal situation, do you feel yourself that it is awkward explaining to somebody? Should you have to explain to somebody wh what you do? For me personally, for, for me personally, I probably use it as an advantage, and I sort of do it in a way that, like, do you know what? This is who we are, and I am proud of who I am. So, the issue, if you have an issue, is your issue, not my issue. I think for I think for me it's not the coming out every day. It's the the ridiculous questions. I mean, and Annie will relate to this. It's having done so much work with the trans community over the years. It's as a as a gay man, you get into that inappropriate conversation at some point, whether it's your female friend or whatever. Are you the are you the giver or the taker? Are you the boy top or the, or the bottom? <laughs> are you the boy or the girl? And, you know, with the trans community, it, there's a different set of questions that always come out. And it's how can we get rid of that is and, for and me I, the big I, question. And, and I think Tony and Ali, I think, uh, Annie, I think that's, that's, that's a really powerful message. So I think the difference is at the moment is the fact that the trans community are going so th through so much rubbish at the moment. I won't swear because I don't know who's watching. Um, so, but, but I think they're going, they're going through so much, whereas I think as being gay uh, or, or, or lesbian, it is so much easier right now. And I, and I thank Russell T. Davis for that for 21 years ago, 22 years mm -hmm. ago, for what he did. Um, and I thought that Butterfly might have been a catalyst for the trans community two years ago, but it doesn't seem to have worked the same way. So what we need to do is we need to get Russell T. Davis to write a trans drama um, that will really push um, for, for trans equality. And I think that's where we need to go to make a change and make difference. Is the trans yep, community represented enough, Annie? So what's that, sorry? Is the trans community represented enough? Oh, good heavens, on, on no. There's only about three of us on screen, isn't there? I mean, yeah. there's there's me and there's Ash on Emmerdale, and um, occasionally you see Rebecca Root. Occasionally, you, Rebecca well, Root. you've not seen Riley Carter since he was uh, dropped from EastEnders. So there are very very few um, trans actors um, out there, but there's many many more doing stuff. There's many people doing great work on stage, such as Travis Alabanza and people like that. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but. It's um, mainstream media takes things in very tippy tippy toes, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, um, and also Sally and Matty are two soap characters, are very, very safe. We're mm. very unthreatening people, aren't we? Um, <laughs> and that's. Do you think it would be a different story if you took your character? out of Hollyoaks and put you into a different area? Do you think that would be a more a tricky situation for, for your character? I don't know. Um, without, without going into detail, Sally has been very quiet recently because she did she had this lovely thing where she, uh, she got engaged to her childhood love, Myra McQueen, and that all fell through because Myra wasn't gay. The bottom, the, the sum and substance of it. But Sally's busier this year. And um, without going into more detail, she's busier this year. Oh. And I'm hoping that this is going to open up some conversations um, in, yeah. a, in a wider context, which you'll oh, just have Annie. to wait and see what happens. <laughs> Annie, can I, can I just ask a question there? That you, something you picked up on there that when you said we're, we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're non threatening, we're non threatening sort of with actors. But you know what? I can honestly say, for the amount of trans people I know, I don't find any trans person threatening. And I think that's that's the message that needs to get across because I, I, oh, yeah. I've, not, I've not come across that. And I'm, I'm, at, 
I'm looking at the screen and I, and I, I, I can see that sort of this thing is going up from Tony. But but it is that thing about the fact of we need we need proper representation like the LGBT, sorry, like the LGB people had back yeah. in the day. We need that from the trans community because you are not threatening. No, no different from anybody else. And we that's why we need to stick with you and stand with you. Can I just say one thing to everyone? Um Things are slightly different with trans people because there's a very obvious visual change that happens, um, which um, gay, lesbian, bisexual people don't have to go through. And um, yeah. it's been a very visual society. So when someone makes a, a big visual change to their to the appearance that they present to the outside world, it it does have an abrasive uh, edge to it, certainly with the older generations. And I think um, Coronation Street detailed it very well when they brought the wonderful Julie Hesmond-Halsh in uh, okay. 20 years ago mm -hmm. to play Hayley Cropper. Um, they made her literally this little mouse of a woman um, who, uh, again, not a threatening, not, not the tabloid headline kind of trans person. And in many ways, that got the arguments and the situations and the problems that trans people face over in a much more straightforward way. I don't think we need to have those conversations anymore, you know, about tax records and passports and things like that. We need to be having conversations about the Gender Recognition Act. We need to be having yeah. conversations that there are gay, lesbian and bisexual trans people. That mm -hmm. needs to be more um, spoken about now. So, Given how few trans people there are on television, there's an awful long way to go with this. And um, and I'm up for it. Your job in the, you know, in, in these soaps and in these programmes, you're obviously told what type of character you're going to be. Um, how do you go about developing the character so that it's... Yes, it's the character that the programme wants, but it's also true to yourself, Daniel. There. Daniel? Well, I mean, you know, we, we don't get to choose what we say, but uh, yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yes. Am I here? Am I there? Yeah. Uh, like we, we don't get to choose what we say, but we do get to choose how we say it. Uh, and, you know, therefore the character builds over, over time. Um, and you, you play a line in a certain way and it might give the writers an idea to you know, for, for another aspect of the character. It's a bit like a game of tennis, really. But over, over the years, the, the character just builds naturally because they add more backstory and you add more nuance. So therefore, you know, he, he, they become a rounded person. Does that answer your question? But, 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 I don't know if you can but, but that, must be the same, that, must, that must be the same for away. Um, you know, for, for doing what you're doing to sort of, obviously taking the shoes that you're filling uh, with Diane um, and, and to be doing the weather on uh, BBC News Northwest, you know, that must have been hard at first, but you have really come into your own. And I think that, you know, you've now got your own following. You've got people sending you that, like, like back, back in the day, it was uh, people you send countdown ties. You know, you're, you're getting the same sort of situation <laughs> that, 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 yeah. that, that, that happened back then. And I think... It, you, you've created your own monster in a lovely way. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Thank you for your kind words, Carl. And yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was so essentially for those who maybe aren't across the kind of backstory of my job. Um, I was given this job following um, the the passing of Diane Oxbury. So Diane passed away a year before I got the job on Northwest Tonight. And, you know, she was a, a huge, well-known, amazing TV presenter, a, a lovely person. You know, she was loved by the, the whole of the Northwest audience. So this is a slight sort of sidetrack here. But, yeah, I did, when I was, you know, um, offered the job, I did wonder how people would take me as this kind of, you know, uber flamboyant, Welsh um, weather presenter, you know, and um, in, a in a joking kind of fashion, I think the Welsh thing was more of an issue than anything else, to be honest, to a lot of our audience. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I suppose it's the same with anything. You know, I'm a, like a complete Z-lister, you know, on the grand scheme of things. But I think that there are, 
there is some baggage that comes with being on screen in any capacity, I suppose, and getting any kind of following. You you kind of get some stuff along with that, don't you? Yeah. Um, I want to move on now. We've dealt with the past. I want to look at the future. And I know that's difficult for us all to do. But <coughs> where do we go? And what's the kind of ideals for the LGBTQ community? Um, I'll, I'll dive in. Um, I think as an older generation, speaking for myself, those, <laughs> fifth, <laughs> those 50 plus... Um, we need to pull our finger out. Oh, we need to pull our finger out. We need to start teaching. We need to start teaching our um, our history because we've not been great at it. We we haven't, um, you know. And there's there's a whole generation, certainly of my teenage friends, that are no longer with us. And we, like I said, we need to teach our history, and it's down to us to start teaching it. And we need to do it quick. Carl, should it be should on the curriculum? Pardon? Should it be on should the curriculum? I, I, I firmly believe it should be on the curriculum. I think it should yeah. be. Um, I think that we need to have, you know. I Right, here's one for you. When I was Lord Mayor, 2016-17, I didn't even know about the Holocaust. And that's no, no, no disrespect to me uh, for anything else, but I knew nothing about it because school never taught me about it. I knew nothing about the Battle of the Somme, and that was... A uh, hundred years ago, and that was, you know, you had the Pals Battalion. A lot of them people came from Manchester, um, and the Pals Battalion, they were the ones that died in Battle of the Somme. And, and it made me realise the fact that, we, you know, we're told about history from 1066. Who gives up about 1066 right now? You know, I don't care about all those things that happened then. I, I, I want to know what happened within my lifetime, my grandparents' history and their grandparents' history. I want to know what happened in a, in a period that I can relate to. 1066, you might as well be talking about before Christ, for all I give up monkeys. Um, what I would like to see, and, and, and there's something that's been playing on my mind for the last couple of years, and, and, and it's this thing that's been going on. We've been talking about the regeneration of the village in Manchester. Now, I would like to see... I, 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 actually do believe in regeneration. I believe that we've got to keep the heritage, but we've also got to move on with the times. But I'm fed up with the amount of taxi companies, I'm fed up with the amount of takeaways, I'm fed up with the amount of just bars that are there. Let's have some galleries, let's have some bookshops, let's have a coffee shop. Yeah. Let's turn it into something that, it's a destination for people. Let's, let's make it so it's something that people want to go to. I have a vision, and one thing that I would like to, one, one thing I would like to be my legacy, and, yeah. and I'm saying this now because it, it is LGBT History Month and also the fact that I've been thinking about this for a long time. I would like to see an LGBT museum in the heart of Manchester's Gay Village. And it's something that I want to... It's something that my, isn't going to be my next project that I want to make happen. Really nice. Annie, go to that. if it was on the curriculum, Annie, what would, what would we want to learn? What would be the, like, the three main topics, maybe? Well, it... <laughs> I don't put it down to three, just three. Um, I I think there is there are things which there are. Do you know what I really like is when there are timelines which are drawn up during LGBT History Month, and they and and it shows you the significant events that have happened to LGBT people, LGBT plus people across, let's say, the last fifty or sixty years, and. It's quite interesting to see that there's more there than we're taught, than we're told, as you say, apart from mm -hmm. the, the kind of big things. Oh, yes, um, uh, homosexuality was decriminalized in 1967. Okay, in Scotland, it wasn't decriminalized until 1981. And that hardly ever gets mentioned. So if you can imagine, I was a child at the time when, when there, there was no such thing as a gay bar in the town where I come from in Aberdeen because it was still a criminalised situation. Now, most people in this country won't know that, even if they are from the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. So when they have a little timeline showing the major events that have happened, I think that that is very accessible in these days because people can get instant facts along there and then they can find the information by digging deeper into hyperlink. I think the internet's a fantastic way of doing it. I'm not sure, I get what you're saying, Carl, about a museum, but I think I think 
the majority of LGBT learning will come from cyberspace because of the sheer the sheer quantity of information that is out there that has happened to us and you know we've taken this next step now the trans community who were having such a a nice time up till 2015 and have now been demonized and monstered for the past five years this is an essential part of the community and i i think that it should go hand in hand learning center maybe that's a better word than museum a learning center with resources online (laughs) with artifacts, things like Haley Cropper's Red Anorak that's in the People's History Museum at the moment, things like this, the flags, the banners, the things that are constantly changing within our world. I think that's what we need to be doing. And I'm not even sure that the schools are even slightly equipped to deal with this because there's this thing called the curriculum and they decide what you are going to learn and what you're not going to learn. So I'm all for it. But I like the timeline idea more than anything else. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with what you mean by things that people understand, especially when you're saying about what when it got decriminalised in Scotland. Like, I remember when Ireland got gay marriage legalised, and a lot of people come up to me when we were in drama school, and like, oh my God, Ireland has, has got gay marriage. And I was like, yeah, the South. Northern Ireland doesn't. Northern Ireland didn't become legal in gay marriage until January last year. And yeah. blows people's minds that's still a thing. Yep. Mm. Darren, do you think that some of what you do should be on a curriculum? It should be taught. I mean, surely it's just as important as as, as sex education, isn't it? Educate, educate, educate. That's the only way we're actually going to address this. And so um, 100%, yes, we should be talking about that in school. We should be talking about the different types of sex that people have in different types of relationships with different people when people are young so that they understand and they're equipped for the world. You know, there is a genuine fact that because people were not taught about gay sex, um, that that has led to HIV transmission because people did not understand, didn't talk about protection, didn't talk about condom use in a different way other than for preventing babies, for instance. Um, So, yeah, I think history has taught us one thing, educate, 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 and start as early as we can. And how soon do you think that this can become a reality, that curriculum can include LGBT issues. I mean, I was at school and all I can remember about history was learning about Hitler and all the stuff that came in World War II. And I know that's part of our history, but this should be included. And how soon do you think that it will become a reality? Schools should be doing uh, relationship education from 2020. That was part of the the government guidelines. So from 2020, yeah. Sex and sex and religion, uh, sex and uh, relationship education in the curriculum. The unfortunate thing we've got is because of the fact of COVID nineteen. Because I was doing a load of work last year, uh, engaging with schools and engaging with colleges and primary schools to to try and see what work they were doing, to see whether they set up networks. I booked all these things in, but right now it's all about bubbles. It's all about the fact that they can't teach this, they can't teach that. And so, unfortunately. COVID has screwed us over, if, if I could say it in any other way, in, in a way of, um, you know, the way, the way that we were supposed to be able to sort of educate young people, we, we, we've been done over by COVID in that unfortunate way. But we need and, to be getting, we need to be, sorry, Belinda, we need to be getting on this now because the people that the kids and the youth are looking up to now, like the winners of RuPaul's Drag Race UK. Yeah. Yes. The Vivian. The Vivian. You know, great artist. She didn't know who Alan Turing was. Not a clue. I did not know that. Absolutely didn't have a clue. And this is who our youth are looking up to at the moment. These are their yeah. these are their idols. You know, yeah. they're selling out shows everywhere. And we need to be out there making sure that they know that. It needs to be on the curriculum now. And we as Certainly, me as an older generation, we need to be shouting about our history. Really, no, right. you, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right there, Tony. Because we were on a we were on a quiz the other night, Belinda, um, and there's people there who who starred in in reality programs who didn't know who Martha. She didn't know didn't know who Martha was. And it was just like, oh my god! And it's just like, how does this work? Mm. Carl, can I ask you a question to go back to what you were talking about earlier when you said um, when you were going into school as part schools as part of your role and you know speaking yeah. to primary schools and different people? What was that experience like as far as the the teachers 
were concerned and you know the pupils what kind of response did you get oh my do you know what at first i was really nervous so i remember the first the first time i actually did it, it was it was reddish fail it's a it was a secondary school and what happened was <laughs> i used um, to work there you know oh did you <laughs> what, what, what i used was, to be a computer was, technician at reddish Vale. <laughs> There was, was Reddish Vale. Don't even go there. I used to have a pub around the corner. <laughs> we're all connected. Reddish Vale. So, so this the, the, it was the head girl and head boy, and they were doing their citizenship badge. So what they did was they said that what they wanted to do is they invited five class members from each of the five year groups. Um, the head girl had sort of listened to what I'd got to say somewhere else. So I was there, nervous as anything, and they've got a banner as you walk into the school, and it said like, you know, about the fact that, you know, we we dis we don't appreciate uh, hate, we don't discriminate homophobia, blah blah blah, blah all this sort of stuff. So I literally had two minutes with the head teacher. I said, right, what what am I allowed to say and what can't I say? And he's like, just just be completely honest. Um, you, th these children that you've got have been chosen from their their year groups to sort of. To, to fit in with what your talk is going to be like. So it's like, fine. And, and it was one of the first engagements that Simon came with me. Um, so he was the lady mayor. Um, so we went, went in there. And so I get, trouble. He's, he's watching as well, it says. So I went, we went in there and I gave my talk and literally I was completely open about the fact that, you know, I'd been discriminated, I'd been kicked out of the Air Force, all this sort of stuff. And what was really interesting was there was a lad on the front row. He was in the first. He was in the first year, and he kept. It, it, when I went to questions, you know, when someone asks questions but they don't ask a question, but they just want to know what something. So it's very yeah. much like a case of he wanted just me to know that he was there. Anyway, by about the fourth or fifth question, it was like, so when it comes to musical theatre, who do you prefer? And it was it, it, it changed <laughs> dynamics very, very quickly. But then, and, and, and I knew where he was coming from, but then about a week later, the, the Lord Mayor's office got an email from this child's mother to say that how grateful she was, the fact that the Lord Mayor had come into a school um, because they were going through a divorce um, and the her and her husband, uh, he the, the son had come home, and I explained that why is it why is it you find that I'm such a freak when you say that I'm, when, just because I say I'm gay? Um, we had the Lord Mayor in today and his husband, and they've got two dogs, and they're looking at adoption. Um, oh. So I'm not a freak, and it made them question the fact that. The problems that they had was nothing to do with the son being gay. The problems were to do with them. Yeah. And that one story lived with me for my whole time. And then there was another time, and it was at Royce Crescent, and it was in Hume. And, and it, because it was a primary school, I made a point of not saying about... I gave the story, and I, I left the Air Force in that story rather than being kicked out. I left the Air Force to... to, to and I, and I said, any questions? And the first question was, what was it like to be thrown out of the Air Force for being gay? And I looked at the head teacher, and the head teacher said, they've Googled you, they've done the homework, what can I say? So then it opened a whole new dynamic. Do you know what? Kids don't care. Kids really want to know. Kids want to know what is going on. They're not interested in all the other stuff. It is generational. And I think we need to get, I think what we need to do is we need to get through the 55 to 70 generation, because I think we've, it's a 15 year gap. And this is why I think LGBTQ education at schools has to be a 15 to 20 year program. It has to be in every bit of curriculum. It has to be about educate, 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 as you said earlier, Darren, and it has to be about part of the curriculum. And I think if we can get past that, then young people will realise the fact that, you know what, that is just part of who we are. We are all part of society. It doesn't matter whether you've got two mums or two dads. People question me now because obviously the relationship with, with me and Simon, with Willow and the two lesbian mothers that we've got, yes, it's two mums, two dads. However, how many kids have got two mums, two dads when their mum and dad split up? They've all got two mums and two yeah. dads when they're in that relationship. Very true. Absolutely. And, and we it, are... But, yeah, sorry, Belinda. It's all right. Sorry. We are yeah, I hope that answered your question. In a minute. Yeah, no other reason than I need a shave. Uh, just before we go, though, uh, from each of you, what's fantastic about being part of the LGBT 
community. Who wants to go first? Oh. So what do you do Unity. Order? Unity, yeah. community. Well, it is like and... being part of a, a, a like a special club. There is, there is. There's a unity. There's a... That's it. Yeah, that's Thank what you. you're saying. Oh, we're having we're having problems with people's signal. I'm getting a bad signal in the ear as well now. We must be really <laughs> Go on, say again, Daniel. Oh, go on. We can hear you. Well, it, it, family unity. Can you hear me? Oh my God, it's it is actually Daniel's right, and it is about family. Yeah, it's family. Because the thing is, being a club. Yeah, and, and, and the good thing about being part of the LGBT community is we create our own family. We absolutely create our own family. And, you know, we will walk down Canal Street, we will walk in the bars, we will slay each other, we will rip each other to bits. But anybody attacks us and we come together very, very quickly and very mm. cohesively. And, and that, is, that is our second family and in some cases our first indeed absolutely um we are going to wrap it up there but i just want to say thank you to all of you mm -hmm. for coming on today i think we've had a very knowledgeable hour and 32 minutes and that's 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 double what we normally that do is. you're not getting double pay now listen <laughs> each and every one of you thank you so much a big thank you of course to carl austin behan to tony cooper to our Darren, all the way from the LGBT, uh, sorry, from the G out. Oh, God, George has George trust, trust love. George has trust. <laughs> thank you. Annie Wallace, and of course, Daniel Brocklebank. And away! I was going to see if she got it. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us. Thank you so much. What a fantastic show that was. It literally has been non-stop. Have you had fun? I've had a great time. Well, make sure you come back, won't you? In the meantime, check out our lovely podcast. Tell everybody about it. This is the podcast for the one and the only... Your Manchester. Manchester.